Almighty and ever-living God, you hate nothing you have made, and you forgive the sins of all who are penitent. Create in us new and honest hearts, so that, truly repenting of our sins, we may receive from you, the God of all mercy, full pardon and forgiveness through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. You may be seated. The scripture reading from the Old Testament lesson is Genesis 2, 15 through 17, and 3, 1 through 7. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it of it, you shall die. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So one saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. The word of the Lord. The epistle lesson is Romans 5, 12 through 19. Just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, so death spread to all because all have sinned. Sin was indeed in the world before the law, but sin is not reckoned when there is no law. Yet death exercised dominion from Adam and to Moses, even over those whose sins were not like the transgressions of Adam, who is a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died through the one man's trespass, much more surely have the grace of God and the free gift and the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound for the many. And the free gift is not like the effect of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brings justification. If, because of the one man's trespass, death exercised dominion through that one, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. For just as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, 
So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Word of God, word of life. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterward he was famished. The tempter came and said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, And he said to Jesus, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him and suddenly angels came and waited on Jesus. The gospel of the Lord. Just to make sure you get it, I'm going to read it again. But this time from the message, listen to how how good it is and how similar it is, but also how much more understandable it is. Next, Jesus was taken into the wild by the Spirit for the test. The devil was ready to give it. Jesus prepared for the test by fasting 40 days and 40 nights. That left him, of course, in a state of extreme hunger which the devil took advantage of in the first test. Since you are the Son of God, speak the word and that will turn these stones into loaves of bread. Jesus answered by quoting from Deuteronomy, It takes more than bread to stay alive. It takes a steady stream of words from God's mouth. For the second test, the devil took Jesus to the holy city, to Jerusalem. He sat him on the top of the temple and said, Since you're God's son, jump! The devil goaded him by quoting Psalm 91. He has placed you in the care of angels. They will catch you so that you won't so much as stub your toe on a stone. Jesus countered with another citation from Deuteronomy. Do not, do, don't you dare test the Lord your God. For the third test, the devil took Jesus to the peak of a huge mountain. He gestured expansively, pointing out all of the earth's kingdoms, how glorious they all were. Then the devil said to Jesus, they're yours, lock, stock, and barrel. Just go down on your knees and worship me, and they're yours. Jesus was cruel, Was Jesus' refusal was curt. Beat it, Satan. 
He backed his rebuke with a third quotation from Deuteronomy. Worship the Lord your God and only him. Serve him with absolute single-heartedness. The test was over. The devil left. And in his place, angels, angels came and took care of Jesus' needs. This is again the word of the Lord. Well, I don't know about y'all, but I think, well, we got, first of all, we got all these scriptures about temptation and, and trying and all that stuff from the apple in the garden, even though it never said apple in the text. We put apple in there because we can understand apple um, and uh, all those things. And, and pe- people use that Genesis scripture to blame Eve for all evil in the world and all that kind of stuff. And we know that that's not true. And all these other things about temptation and all those kinds of stuff. But I think it would be totally amazing to have angels come and take care of me. How about right now? (laughs) Well, I'm pretty sure that it doesn't work that way. And I'm kind of glad it doesn't work that way in a funny sort of way. This gospel lesson about the temptation of Christ is pretty clear. Especially when we read the message translation that I read to you a second. It's really quite an idea and story of how Christ, in human form, must have been tempted. Tempted not by earthly things or earthly pleasures or earthly people, but instead by the devil or Satan or whatever name you think fits this one best. All this tempting, too, is as Jesus is on his journey to teach disciples and ultimately his death and resurrection. It's also all about how we are, you are and I am, on our journey toward the resurrection. That's really what Lent is all about, isn't it? Our journey through the life of Jesus, the challenging of the challenging of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, the gathering of followers by Jesus, especially the twelve, then turning on Jesus. First, the religious and political establishment of the time, and then even by Jesus' own followers. The trial of Jesus, the torture, the death, no, the murder of Jesus by the Holy Roman Empire with the complicit political and religious leaders of the day. It is also all about how we, how as we journey through Lent, we have another opportunity to discover our true identity as Christians, or better, this true identity of Christianity that is imprinted upon us when we make, when we make the choice to follow Jesus. For many, it is an experience of testing, perhaps a little fear, but the experience is moderated by, or the blow softened by, a special grace. A special grace we need to be careful of, but remember that, that we make this journey together, this pilgrimage, because it must be together. We need to do this as a community, a community of faith that takes place with the whole Christian church, but more specifically this Christian church on earth. And we follow the one who has already completed the course, already passed the test, made it through, and has become and remains our loving Savior, our healer, and the one who grants us everlasting life in and with him. Therefore, Lent's 40 days of preparation for baptism and discipleship are modeled on Jesus' post-baptismal test in the wilderness. 
So are you ready to go out into the wilderness and see what there is in store for us, for you and for me? Or are you satisfied and do you have enough faith in God that your faith becomes stronger and resides in a deep, in deeper place in your heart, if you will? When we take this time to pause and think and reflect and learn and pray and about and pause a little more during these 40 days, we get ready. One preacher, preacher puts it bluntly, still wet from his baptism in the Jordan, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterward he was hungry. These are the words that Matthew uses to address all of us who are gathered for the first Sunday of Lent for us to remember for the next 40 days at least. So we have this story of temptation of Jesus in the desert, an amazing tale of devils, of the devil and angels and challenges and suspense and fortitude and strength of conviction and self-control and amazement and wonder and faithfulness and knowledge of scripture. Scripture of the time, the Old Testament. Both Jesus and the devil quote scripture. They, Jesus applies his faith. We have greed and temptation and suffering. All of it, all of it contained in this gospel lesson we read this morning. I think it becomes much more dramatic in our minds and in our hearing. Because it's not just Sally or Joe from down the street. It's Jesus. Jesus was tempted to shift his attention away from the questions of identity and purpose to basic human needs and desires. Food, dependency, loyalty, and power. How did Jesus get in this position? Or maybe better, how did he let himself get into this position? The temptation is not in being hungry, not in feeling dependent, not in giving loyalty or remaining loyal. And not even not in wanting power. The temptation is, in fact, the manner in which we choose to be fed. How we choose to deal with dependency. To whom we choose to give our loyalty. And exactly how we choose to use our God-given capacities. Let me say it in a different way. Not being hungry, but choosing to be fed. Not feeling dependent, but dealing with our dependency. Not wanting power, but giving our loyalty and using all our gifts for the glory of God alone. We need bread to live and survive. We also, but we also hunger for things that bread alone cannot satisfy. These are the hungers of the spirit and mind. This is how we cultivate the spirit of God within us. And how we nurture our minds in the faith. All of it contributes to the kind of persons we are and we have become and continue to strive to become. That is what we need so urgently to strive for. And these 40 days give us the reason to strive for, or for some of us, the excuse to nurture and reflect and strive and struggle and discover anew. Too many of us are too often tempted to give our loyalty to people or situations that promise to give us power in return, aren't we? Even when we know or are at least fairly certain that this quest for power is not in keeping with Jesus' teaching about who we need to strive to be and become. So whatever God, small g, we worship is the God, small g, who will hold us accountable. But the 
God, capital G, the same one who was revealed through Jesus Christ, gives us the capacity to hold onto our souls and not sell them for the delusions of power by relying on those small g gods we create. In the gospel story, Jesus doesn't succumb to temptation, does he? Jesus outlasts the devil, doesn't he? The answer is not only yes, but Jesus does outlast the devil. Jesus does it with integrity. Jesus does it without making any deals. But it also tells us what his reward was when he successfully fought the devil and won. Yep, there it is again. Angels! (laughs) Angels who came to care for Jesus. Listen to these words about temptation from the late preacher and scholar Fred Craddock. He was one of the best storytellers I have ever heard in my life. These statements in the text grabbed him. These statements by him grabbed my attention. Craddock says that temptation indicates strength, not weakness. How about that one? Temptation indicates strength, not weakness. Craddock tells us that each one of us is tempted not only to do that which lies within each of our capacities. Craddock goes further and says the greater the capacity each of us has to endure brings greater temptations. Oh my, I'm not sure I'm ready for any more. But I also agree with Craddock implicitly. Then Craddock makes this powerful statement. The fierceness of Jesus' desert struggle is testimony to his power. Again, the fierceness of Jesus' desert struggle, his temptation by the devil, is testimony to his power. A third time's the charm. The fierceness of Jesus' desert struggle, where he said no to the devil every single time, is testimony to Jesus' power. Next, Craddock tells us that temptation does not usually involve an obvious or undisguised evil. He describes it this way. Craddock says, the scene before us is not a cartoon of Jesus debating some horned creature with a fiendish face and smells of sulfur. Jesus is wrestling with the will of God for the ministry now before him. Did you get that? Jesus is wrestling with the will of God for the ministry now before him. Remember, Jesus is about to start his ministry right after he was first baptized and then tempted. But what is really so different from what invades your world and my world daily? Aren't we tempted all the time? Do you believe that? Do you believe that we are tempted all the time? I sure do. Food, alcohol, drugs, gambling, unhealthy habits of every kind. Standing by and watching violence. Standing by and watching abuse. Standing by and watching unhappiness and upheaval in the lives of those we love. Standing by and watching what happens in the world around us. Addiction all over the place. Violence both close by and in Syria and Iraq and Yemen and Allentown and the south side of Bethlehem and Philadelphia and New York and Detroit and Chicago. Oh my, temptation everywhere and it's so easy to become complacent isn't it? Oh, I can't watch that news anymore. Oh, that's all there ever is on the news is violence. Well, maybe that's all there ever is in the world. Do you remember what Jesus did to resist and respond to these temptations and dare I say these evils that surround us? You know what he did? He quoted scripture. He quoted scripture. Jesus quoted scripture to deal with all these problems. Now, I someone is in my face and challenging me or I'm disgusted with the condition of the world but also don't do much about it either 
The first place I go is not to quote scripture. I know I'm a pastor and all that stuff, but that's still not the first place I go. I don't know about y'all, but that's me. And when I'm feeling sick to my stomach from the death and destruction that comes into my living room through the TV, I don't immediately remember to go and quote scripture. I certainly wish I could do that, and I certainly aspire to be able to do that. But I'm not there yet. I might be able to come up with scripture if I thought about it for a while, but it would not come to me automatically like it did for Jesus. A friend of mine, one of my teachers actually, his name is Roger Nishioka. He's second generation Japanese American. His father, first generation, was a pastor. Roger tells the story about his father's devotion to scripture. Gosh, I wish I could do this. Roger said they lived in a small house in Seattle, Washington. And they had one bathroom that was on the first floor. The bedrooms were on the second floor. Roger would get up at at different times to use the restroom, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning. He would come downstairs and guess what? His father was already up studying scripture. And he would go away and then he would get up for school at 6 o'clock and his father was still studying scripture. And Roger said, Roger will tell you that his father could quote scripture like nobody's business. That that's one of the things that he did. He internalized it. He memorized it. So it became a part of who he was. And Roger, who's one of the most amazing storytellers and preachers himself, says, I wish I had half the devotion my dad had to the scripture. So maybe if we were like the Reverend Nishioka and we were able to remember scripture in that way, it might come to us when we're in those situations. I hope and pray that it does for all of us. Now, I, I don't know about you, but when someone, that, that whole notion, uh, I, and not going to scripture, it, it doesn't come to me automatically. The next question becomes, but why does this matter? Right? Why are we talking about it today in relation to the scripture? And of course, how does this relate to the beginning of our journey through Lent? I'm glad you asked. The temptation to only dwell in the ways of the world is a strong, alluring draw away from what Jesus teaches and the way Jesus lived his life and the way Jesus calls us to live our lives. Let's go back to Jesus in the wilderness with the devil for a minute. In the course of his ministry, Jesus did feed the poor. Jesus did perform wonders among the people. Jesus did speak out for injustice, especially injustice to the least of these. Jesus' ministry did have and continues to have enormous political and social impact. Now notice, when I say political and social impact, I don't mean Democrat or Republican political impact. I mean political impact as who's being treated fairly and who's not, and who's hungry and who's not, who's got too much and who doesn't have enough. That's the political and social impact I'm talking about. But it's only part of the answer. Jesus survives the desert not simply by quoting scripture. The strength is that Jesus' response to every test the devil threw at him was to refuse to be like God or to be God. As the Apostle Paul puts it in Philippians 2, verses 6 and 7, Jesus, quote, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or empty himself, taking the form of a servant. You see, Jesus did not use the power of the Spirit to claim exemption or to avoid the, the, the painful difficulties in the path of service. How many times did you think when you read that story of the temptation, if he's really the Son of God, why do you tell the devil, just go away? Leave me alone. I'm stronger than you are. He didn't do that. 
Jesus did not use God to claim something for himself. And it was this same serving, suffering, dying Jesus whom God vindicated by raising him from the dead. As, again, preacher and teacher Fred Craddock says so powerfully, a church too fond of power, place, and claims would do well to walk in Jesus' footsteps. We need to remember that it's not just about believing in Jesus and expecting that because of that belief, only smooth sailing and blue sky and beautiful sunsets await us. Jesus sought clarity about his life's mission in the wilderness following his baptism. Soon after his wilderness experience, he began to invite and attract people to a new way of life. You see, in the wilderness, we, like Jesus, receive what only God can provide for us. Strength and direction. Again, the temptation of Christ in the wilderness tells us just how Jesus says, No! If Jesus follows the devil's lead, the devil will make Jesus the emperor, the king of kings of the kingdoms of this world. But Jesus refuses to take the world by domination and violence. The only weapon Jesus uses uses against the powers of this world is the word. The only sword Jesus ever draws is the sword of the spirit. It's exactly what Martin Luther was describing in the great reformation hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. One of the verses says, The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him, his rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Yes, Jesus says no to the temptation of violence and domination. You see, my siblings in Christ, if Jesus said yes to the devil, and had Jesus assumed the powers of the world, there would have been no need for the cross. That's why today's gospel is so important to us and to our understanding of our faith in Jesus. Because in this amazing story, we see the resistance of Jesus to the powers of this world. This resistance begins right after Jesus' baptism. Immediately after. What did the one preacher say? He was still wet from his baptism when he went out for temptation. And it is what leads eventually to his death on the cross. Jesus' murder, Jesus' crucifixion, whichever way you want to look at it. One preacher writing about this passage says, The powers and principalities, those in charge, must crucify Jesus because of the no he speaks to their ways, to their ideology, to the false securities they promise. The powers can only deliver death and destruction. Only Jesus can deliver life. Intent on their survival at all costs, the powers of this world must crucify the one who threatens their authority. Committed to domination by the sword, the powers must put to death the one who threatens their values. That's Jesus. The story from Matthew for today of the temptation of Jesus is foundational for all that lies ahead as we journey through Lent and toward the death and resurrection of our Lord on Easter Sunday. In this essential teaching of Jesus, we see the conflict between the ways of this world and the ways of God, between the way of death and the way of life, between the way of darkness and the way of light. And at the center of this conflict stands the the cross of Jesus. As we travel through these days of Lent, we will live in this, we live in this tension that, that seems to always exist. We live between temptation and crucifixion. The gospel story tells us that Jesus resists every temptation the devil throws at him, and Jesus resists because he sees what is coming. 
Jesus can see that these temptations are stumbling blocks on the path to Jerusalem. Jesus knows that with the resistance of each temptation, he's taking a step towards the cross. Towards the cross and ultimately his death by crucifixion. Every day, each one of us struggle with the powers of the world. Every day, each one of us know, as Jesus knows, that it is often easier to choose power, violence, and domination instead of the reconciling ways of the reign of God. Each day, each one of us know, as Jesus knows, that it's easier to tear people down than to build them up. Or put another way, the Episcopal of Atlanta says, it's easier to pick up lifeless stones and hurl them toward one another instead of passing the bread that sustains life. The bishop continues, holy friends, as we walk these great 40 days from temptation to crucifixion, I bid you to walk gently and with your heart wide open. Listen for Jesus. Jesus will call out to you as he makes his way from temptation to crucifixion. Jesus will call out to you from the cross and in the midst of death, domination and violence. You will hear his voice. Choose life, he will say. Choose life. So there it is. As we move through these 40 days of reflection, come join me. As we continue on this amazing journey we call Lent, or as our Orthodox Christian sisters and brothers have it right when they call it Great Lent. They always refer to it as Great Lent. Come and reflect with me as together we prepare for the passion and resurrection. Take time to prepare. Try to understand what this amazing sacrifice and gift means to each of us and our journey of faith, our journey to deepen our faith. Still wet from his baptism in the Jordan, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And afterward, Jesus was hungry. May we all, may you, may I, may we be hungry too. Hungry to do God's will. Hungry to embrace all that Jesus was and is and will be again. And hungry to celebrate and choose life. Life in Jesus Christ. (laughs) Amen.